This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. Welcome to Coastal Sermons, a weekly podcast designed to inspire and instruct people in walking out their faith. These are recordings of our Sunday gatherings where we broadcast the weekly messages from our campus in beautiful seaside Berlin, Maryland. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or find our full video library on our YouTube channel at Coastal Community Church in Maryland. You know, my past uh, corporate life, I worked for a company that our entire uh, MO was that we provided strategic marketing initiatives for Fortune 500 companies in the insurance, tech, banking, like Citibank, Humana, Wells Fargo, those kinds of things. And on one of these occasions, one of these firms reached out to us, to our company, and they said, we want to know if you guys would facilitate for us something that they were calling their new initiatives team. It was going to be a group of executives that they were going to invite together and they were going to try to find new ways to reach the consumer. And so they asked our company if we had anybody who was a critical contrarian thinker that could uh, facilitate that. And it took my colleagues two seconds to nominate me. You see, contrarian or critical thinking is what it's called when we do it for clients, but annoying is what it was called when I did it inside of our own company because I have a tendency to kind of color outside the lines. That's just my MO. So I showed up at the client's site, and the senior leader told me, he said, look, Lane, come here. He said, I'm looking for you to instigate. That was his exact word. I'll never forget it. He said, I'm looking for you to instigate discussion. Be the outsider. Help us see our blind spots. Get us to think differently. Not a problem for this guy. The session started with about 15 people in the room all around a huge conference table. And so the leader stood up and he explained the nature of the session, how they wanted to do things differently. And then he led with that famous phrase that I cringe at every time I hear it. He said, I want you guys to think, you've heard it, outside the box. And then he said, he went and picked up an Expo erase marker and he went to the dry erase board and he said, let's just whiteboard. He said, I want you guys to just throw out some ideas, throw out questions. Nothing's off limits. No one bit. No one took the bait. No one ever does. Because nobody in those situations wants to be the first one to look stupid. I mean, even people who have never, ever, ever gone to church in their life Prove the wisdom of the Bible, especially that famous Proverbs in chapter 17 that says even a fool is thought wise if he at least keeps silent. (laughs) So the silence in the room that day was my cue, always is. (laughs) Raise my hand. Lane, yes, great, with market bridge. Help us out, Lane, help us out. What, what's the box? I asked. Excuse me, he said. C- c- can you elaborate, Lane? Well, I said, you, you told this group to think outside the box. So I'm just kind of curious. What is the box? Where is the box? And I watched him shift his weight as he realized that I was pointing the question at him and not the room like he was hoping I was going to do. I was putting him on the spot. So 
<clears throat> he cleared his throat. Well, you, you know, it's our standard way of doing things, our, our, our normal standard operating procedures. You, you know. No, I don't, I said. I don't. You see, that's the thing. I don't know what the box is here today. How can these people inside this room, I said, think outside the box if they don't even know what it is? I said, you haven't defined the box, and if they can't see it, how are they going to know to think outside of it? And in that moment, within .02 seconds, I saw on his face, he regretted asking me to be there. (laughs) They always do. But my point was true, and it's still true today. You see, we have a tendency, whether we know it or not, all of us, we have a tendency to create boxes around us, routines, rituals, regular patterns. The box is whatever is our zone of comfort. It's that grocery store that we have to shop at. It's that school that our kids have to go to, that church that we love to attend, that food we always order at, that restaurant, that road we travel as opposed to that other road, that show we have to watch, that chair for our prayer time as opposed to that other one. And the list goes on and on And on, we create patterns of behavior that we think work for us. The problem is, is that we then become blind to whenever they stop working for us. And then, without us knowing it, we're actually living with limitations because we can't see beyond those patterns. We are unable to ever experience anything new. We'll never, ever know if that other route is faster to our destination. We'll never, ever, ever know if that new menu item is any good because we always order the same thing. We'll never know if that other show is even worth our time because we watch the same thing over and over. We live inside of boxes. And you know what? That's true of our faith as well. We create Boxes, And those boxes in our faith stop us, whether we know it or not, from ever experiencing anything new from God. We need to go to that church, and we have to go to that service, and we have to park in that spot, and we have to see that greeter, and we have to sit in that chair, and we have to see that cross, and we have to hear that worship leader sing that song, and hear from that preacher, and we have to be out by that time. And if any of that gets mixed up, we don't think we can meet with God, or we don't think we've fully met with God. Boxes. Limits. Blinders. And here's the thing. God knows this. But different from that corporate experience I defined for you, where people were invited to weigh in, to think outside the box, I have news for you. God never, ever, ever, ever seeks our permission to go outside the lines. God never asks us if it's okay to stretch us a little bit. Instead, he just goes outside of our boxes all on his own. And then he simply sees whether we will actually follow or not. And that, I would submit to you, is one of the biggest 
challenges to our faith, and it's the single question that I have for you this morning. Because I don't have three points. Why? Because three-point sermons, it's a box. So I don't have three. I only have one question for you this morning. Can God expand beyond what you deem comfortable and predictable? Or more simply put, can God be outside the box that you've created? Because get this, I'm going to say it again. He's not seeking your permission. He just wants to know if you'll follow him. So for the next three weeks, we're going to explore this series, and we're going to look at how Jesus actually addresses this direct issue with his followers then, and he still is addressing it with us today. We're going to explore over the next three weeks Matthew chapter 11. And here's something out of the box. I'm going to give you homework. For the next three weeks, read Matthew 11. Read it in a version other than the one you're used to. Read it at a time of day than what you're used to. For some of you, read it. That's your outside the box because you haven't even opened your Bible. Find a chair that is different than the one you usually use in the morning. But for the next three weeks, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, because I promise you this, if you dig into this chapter, Jesus is going to call you outside of whatever boxes you've built. So let's start. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Matthew writes this, he says, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Full stop. Yep. Because without knowing it, we've already encountered one of our first boxes we already fall into. We all know that we're supposed to read our Bible, right? So we do, some of us. But most times we read it without hearing it. Because we have this box, whether we know it or not, where we say, well, we're supposed to read the Bible, so we read a paragraph a day, a chapter a day, but we don't really hear what it says. We just think that just the activity of reading is what God wants. And so as long as we can check that box, I read my Bible today, I had my breakfast today, I did my walk today, we put it in this box of things we're supposed to do. So did we read the Bible? Yes. But did we hear it? I don't know. So let's get out of that box. Let's ask verse 1 some questions. What was Jesus instructing his disciples? Matthew goes, when he had finished, instruct, what was he instructing them? And then it says that he went into their towns. Who, who, who is there referring to? I'd like to answer those two questions this morning. Because if you ask those questions, guess what? You will get Answers, and you'll start to come out of your box. In fact, the very chapter before it, chapter 10, is actually the answer to our first question. What was Jesus instructing his disciples? We know it. If we just go backwards, we'll see that the entirety of Matthew chapter 10 tells us what Jesus taught them. The whole chapter. And I'd like to just give you snippets Pay close attention. I just want you to hear this because I'm going to be reading Jesus' words. These are the words that he gave his disciples. You ready? One person. 
is out of the box. Here we go. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, he's not telling them to go out to the Samaritans or the Gentiles. He goes, no, 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 no. I want you to go to the Jews. I want you to go to my people. And he says, as you go, I want you to preach this message. God wants to make you comfortable. Nope. The kingdom of heaven is coming. He then says, I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. Did you hear that? He just called his own fellow people wolves. Imagine if I were to say that today. Imagine if I were to say, well, I'm preaching today to a bunch of wolves. You'd be like, that's offensive. Can he get better faster? <laughs> this is Jesus. And then if you think that that's like specific, watch this. Jesus then says, beware of people. I thought God loves people. I thought God loves all people. Jesus says, but beware of them because they're going to hand you over to councils. They're going to flog you in their synagogues. Brother will hand over brother to death. A father, his own child. Children are going to rise against parents and have them put to death. Catch this. And you, he says, you'll be hated by everybody because of me. You will be hated by everybody because of me. Then he says this. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. What? That can't be in the Bible. Oh, it is. Matthew 10. Go look for it yourself after the service. What does that mean? That's a good question to ask. That's your homework. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, as if that doesn't naturally happen. (laughs) And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A man's enemies will be right in his own house. Finally, he says, guys, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not even take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Wow. Hear how quiet it is right now? I have a suspicion it was the same way among his 12 when he got done saying that. Like... That's not exactly the most comforting words. That's not exactly the most positive outlook. That doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Because Jesus just got done saying that if we follow him on his mission, we will be hated by people around us. And then he goes ahead and says, and look, I've come to set family members against each other. I want you to imagine posting that to Facebook with the picture of a waterfall behind it, like I know everybody does. Oh, here's a serene picture of a beautiful landscape. And the quote for today is, I've come to set family members against each other, quoted by Jesus. I'm suspecting you're not going to get many likes. You may get a lot of hates. And I doubt anybody's going to say, well, that's what I needed today. Somebody's going to post it today. I just know it. (laughs) Make my heart warm. So why? Why does Jesus spend so much time talking about influencing family conflict. Fathers, mothers, brothers. Well, because it actually answers our second question. 
Our first question was, what does he instruct them from Matthew 11.1? Our second question was, whose towns? When it says, when Matthew says that he went to preach and teach in their towns, whose towns is he referring to? And the answer is the disciples. That after he finished instructing them, he then went into their towns. He instructs them all of that stuff I just read you because of what he's about to do. Jesus intends to go into their towns, their centers of life, their familiarity, their comfort zone, their places of established identity where they have a good reputation, where they work, their neighborhood, their homes, their friends, and their families. Jesus intends to go into their centers of life. And he's going to disrupt things. He's going to talk about the kingdom of God. He's going to talk about uncomfortable stuff. He's going to talk about stuff that to the outsider is going to sound a little bit risky, tense. And when he does, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this. The test will come for his disciples. He'll be in their towns, around their friends, around their family. And their friends and families are going to come to them and go, let me get this straight. You're with that dude? That guy that preached today, that's the person you're following? Well, yeah, I mean, you believe the stuff he's saying? I, 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 I do. Are you crazy? That guy's a lunatic. That's what they're going to say about Jesus. And then they're going to look at their friend. And their families are going to look at their brothers will look at brothers. Fathers will look at son. Mothers will look at daughter. And will say, you're following that guy? And suddenly, Jesus knows, they will be put to the test. The test to see who they love more. Do they love Jesus? Or do they love their reputation? Do they love Jesus? Or do they love their comfort inside their circles of life? Because that's a box. You see, we want both. We want Jesus, and we want a non-confrontational life. And that's a box. We think that over time, Jesus' primary concern is our comfort, our blessings, our health, our desires, and yet the reality is, is that Jesus is only about one thing and one thing only, his mission of redemption. That's it. He is about his mission, and he simply wants to know, are you with him on that mission? And if you are, I have news for you. That mission will wildly disrupt your life. It will wildly disrupt your expectations. And it will wildly disrupt your family's expectations and your friends' expectations and your colleagues' expectations. You see, when his mission invades our towns, our centers of life, when Jesus comes into our life, he also comes into our homes, our workplaces, our friendship circles. Whether you like it or not, he does because he comes there through you. And your friends and families will say, you really believe in all that stuff? 
Are you really one of those conservative Christians? Are, are you one of those born again? So, so does that mean that you hate gay people? Is that what you believe in that church? Are you really against a woman's right to choose? I can't imagine a God that would believe that. Do you believe that? And we're left stuttering because we suddenly are thrown in that single moment, in that single encounter, at that dinner, at that place, at that Starbucks, at that moment, at that holiday event, we are suddenly ripped outside of our comfort zone. And what we find is that following Jesus means we might end up just like he said. Hated by people. Even people close to us. Even friends. Even family. We don't like that. I don't like that. We want people to admire us for our faith. We want to believe that we walk outside of this church into our community, and we want to believe that people look at us like we're monuments of morality. We think that they admire us. They do not. Oh, they might say, I I admire you, but go ahead and call them out for anything that you believe is wrong in their life, and you'll see how fast it switches. That's what happens when you have a Jesus faith. You may end up somewhere you weren't expecting. You may find a certain job removes you. You may find a certain group of colleagues begin to exclude you. You may find God calling you into something, an area of life that you never imagined before. In other words, hear me, God will, not may, God will call you out of any boxes you have put him in. You don't believe me? Let me show you. Let's finish that small little segment at the beginning of Matthew 11. It reads this way. It says, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John, and this is referring to John the Baptist, now when John heard in prison about the deeds that Christ had done, he sent his own disciples to go to Jesus and ask a question. And here's the question. John the Baptist, this is John the Baptist, who in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the same John the Baptist that when he baptized Jesus, he said, I have to decrease so that you increase. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist goes, There's the Messiah! Completely convinced. But in Matthew 11, John sends his disciples to Jesus and says, Guys, I want you to ask him something for me. Ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or are we supposed to be looking for another? Hear it? Hear the question? John's going, did I get it wrong? Are you the one? Jesus tells his disciples, John's disciples, he says, go back. And I want you to tell John what you have heard and seen while you've been around me. The blind are seen, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me. Why would John suddenly begin to question Jesus? Well, he's been arrested, for one, by Herod for doing God's work. 
John was just simply doing what he was called to do for preaching the kingdom. Mark gives us the most descriptive answers to what happened to John. Mark chapter 6, it says, For Herod himself had sent men and arrested John and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had repeatedly told Herod, It's against the Levitical law for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias, Herodias, not Herod, nursed a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. So Herod had broken the laws, and John had called him out for it. John spoke up. John raised his hand. John was a contrarian. Although Herod's wife probably would call him annoying, John was a lighthouse in a dark place. And the result was not that God gave him a big house and a new job and a raise and perfect health and a new car. No, what did John get? John got thrown in prison. And not even because Herod was angry. If you read through Mark chapter 6, it actually says that Herod actually liked John and enjoyed listening to him. It was because of Herod's wife that he was in prison. But there's a silver lining in John's dark cloud, because now the Messiah has come rolling into town. The son of the living God, the true king of the Jews, their Superman, their hero, the long-awaited Messiah. Heads were going to roll. God was going to clean house. John knew it. And John, matter time, would be freed. Only Jesus, Jesus isn't operating that way. Jesus is out in the country teaching people on grassy hillsides while they pick their teeth with straw. He's healing people and he's spending time with a group of guys on lakes fishing. Yeah, he's fishing. Jesus isn't in the city calling Herod out and proclaiming God's authority and tearing down these horrible, evil infrastructures. Jesus is out in a boat hanging out with guys fishing while John languishes in prison, while Herod continues to live his illicit life. So John's confused. I think it's fair to say it's okay to be confused. Jesus isn't doing what he thinks Jesus should be doing. Again, John's in prison for doing God's work. And now God is on the scene, but he's not rescuing John. He's not coming and crushing Herod. He's not demolishing this. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't the problem, is he? It's John. John's faith is in, you guessed it, a box. John is having trouble understanding why Jesus isn't doing what John thinks he should be doing. And that happens to the best of us. No, scratch that. That happens to all of us. We, without even knowing we're doing it, we place God in a box where we think his mission is our comfort, our peace, our happiness, our fulfillment. We, all of us, have expectations of how God, of how church, of how life is supposed to go. And we want God to back it. We want him to answer our prayers, and we want him to answer our prayers our way. And yet, if we're just brutally honest, 
Everything in the scriptures points to the contrary. We just don't read them. Jesus is not asking you what you want. He's asking you if you will follow him. And if you say yes, he's going to disappoint you. I want to say that again, intentionally and slowly. Jesus will disappoint you. I promise you. Not because he will fail and not because he will do anything wrong, but because you and I build boxes. And the disappointment is not because he did something wrong. The disappointment is because we had wrong expectations. And God cannot be contained. And that is why the very last words that Jesus gives John's disciples before he sends them off is this. Blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me. Why does he say that? Why does Jesus say, blessed is the person who does not take offense at me, the Messiah? Why? Because he is going to go outside your box, whether you want him to or not, because God will never, ever, ever, ever be contained by our petty desires and demands. He is on a mission, and he will empower you if you partner with him. He has dreams for you. He has visions for you that are a part of what he is trying to accomplish, not your building of your own kingdom here on this earth. Which means that the only way to receive that blessing, what blessing? Jesus' blessing, because he just said, blessed is the one. The only way to receive that blessing is to not be offended when he does go outside of the box. Which means that this morning, like I said, I do not have three points for you. I have only one question. And it's the same question I had for that corporate group years and years and years ago. I'd like to raise my hand. I'd like to thank you. I'd like to instigate, instigate a discussion this morning. Where is the box for you? Where are your boxes? Is it a routine you need to change up? Is it an era of the church that you're still stuck in, demanding that church still has to happen your way? Is it a personal style of prayer or worship you've never allowed God to grow in? There are an infinite number of boxes because there are an infinite number of people. Do you know, it's the same question I asked that room, do you know where your boxes are? Because if you don't, there is no way for you to know how to get out of them. But I will guarantee you this, Jesus already is. He is already outside of your boxes. And he, if you will allow him, he will show you where your boxes are. He will, by his spirit, convict you of where you have tried to contain him. And then when he shows you where they are, he will invite you to come outside of it. And I can guarantee you, it will scare the living daylights out of you. It did his disciples. And it will you. But, if you want to know more of him, if you would like to believe that God can be larger, greater, grander, more amazing than you could possibly imagine...
I have no idea where your boxes are. I know where mine are, at least partially the ones that God has shown me. And I know what it's like to be invited, commanded by the Lord to come out of it. And it's scary. When he doesn't perform to the way I want him to, I, all of us do it. We pray a certain way, and then all of a sudden we think, oh, God's going to do this. God's going to... But he wants to be bigger, grander, larger, more amazing. He wants to be God. <laughs> so over the next three weeks, we're going to go through Matthew 11. You may look at that tagline and go, what does that mean? He doesn't dance to our flute. Read chapter 11 and you'll know. But make this something of a pursuit both this morning and over the next several weeks for you to say, God, I want you to be bigger than the limits that I've created. Let's pray. Father, show us. Instruct us because you want to go into our towns, our lives, our centers, among our friends, our family. And the same thing you told your disciples then should be true, is true for us. It's scary, but we know that you empower. So I pray that you would stretch us to know you as the God you want to be because that will evoke a worship and an all that will then really challenge the people outside of these walls. Don't let this church, the, the, don't let these physical walls be our box. Let us go outside of them, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless the church.